0: But once again, we stand tonight grateful to our God for the opportunity and the means by which He has given us to be able to assemble ourselves together tonight, to study a portion of His Word, to look at the commandments, the example and life of His Son, Jesus Christ, that we may emulate those things, follow those commandments, and do as He has commanded us to do, that we may have the hope of eternal life and be able to share in eternity with the very God who died for us and often his life as a means for our salvation. And so we have much, much to be thankful for. Again, God has answered our prayers again tonight. So we serve a merciful and loving and righteous God. And so we are mindful of that, and hopefully we conduct ourselves each and every day with that in mind. And, of course, we represent Christ properly as we go throughout our days. And if we have not done so, Uh, We will most certainly pray to God for an opportunity that we may make those necessary corrections, go to those perhaps who we have unjustly offended, uh, perhaps we said something incorrectly, whatever the case may be, to make those corrections, because each and every day that we hear is based upon God's long-suffering, and we must be thankful and conduct ourselves accordingly. If you will turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 32, Exodus chapter 32. I want to begin our lesson today looking at an Old Testament story, an Old Testament account. And although we won't look at all that the account entails, I would encourage us to look at chapter 32 in its entirety and uh, see some of the other things that occurred uh, as a result of the actions the behavior. And of course, the attitude of the nation of Israel, a people who had been brought out of a 400-some-odd year uh, bondage uh, by them crying out to God, and God hearing their prayers, of course, as God has stated, uh, even through the patriarch Abraham, they would uh, go through this period of of slavery or bondage uh, in a nation that was not theirs, in a land that was not theirs, and as they cried out to God, God sent his servant Moses, and of course Moses would deliver the people out of Egyptian bondage by the power of God with a strong and mighty hand, and so God would provide for them as they sojourned through the wilderness, and would head to the land of Canaan, the land that uh, God really had promised them. And as Moses was to go up to Sinai to receive the law of God, <laughs> Moses was delayed in his coming down. And I want us to note the actions of the Israelites while Moses was on Sinai. The Bible says "And when the people saw that Moses was delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together Unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods, which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought uh, brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we would not what is become of it. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in thy ears, for uh, the years, I'm sorry, the ears of thy wives, and your sons and your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings, which were in their ears, and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand, and fashioned it with a graving tool, after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast day to the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. They offered burnt offerings and sacrifices to the God that they had made out of their own hands with the things that they possessed. Now, it's not that uh, the Israelites at this time were were worshiping a specific idol god or a god of the, uh, of the Egyptians specifically. But what they had done was fashion themselves, of course, in the likeness of those gods of Egypt. And what they were doing was making to themselves a representation of what they thought their god was. In other words, they weren't creating or trying to erect a new god or a different god, but simply making a representation of the god that they saw. In other words, that which they again would would have or formulate or create in their own minds. And of course, God would go on to say, make no molten gods before me. Don't, Don't do that. And so they were worshiping a representation of God. But it was not the God that delivered them out of Egyptian bondage. I want today for you to picture something. Say for example, you were passing by a construction site. And you saw men working and doing due diligence. You saw people uh, doing the duties that their contractor, whoever they were employed them, were doing. And you didn't see that to really be a strange thing. They were building something. They were erecting something. They were working on that which they had been hired or commissioned to do. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22, we as Christians have a work to do. The Israelites, believe it or not, if you go back to Exodus 19, had a work that God had commanded them to do. They were to be representative or the representatives of the the, the will of God, the commandments of God throughout the earth. Remember, they were to be a a holy nation, a nation of priests, a holy people rather, peculiar people. A nation of priests according to Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6. And the apostle Paul tells the church at Ephesus that we as Christians too have a, uh, also rather have a work to do. We have something that we are to be building upon. We have something that we are to be busy at, much like the Israelites had, much like those in the first century had of our brethren, and we also have. In Ephesians chapter two, verses nineteen through twenty-two, the apostle Paul, in writing to the church at Ephesus, states. Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built up upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building, fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are the build are built together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. We too have a work to do. Again, that's edifying the body of Christ, edifying one another. Now, of course, we have the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, and we simply build upon that foundation as they were commanded to do in that day. We do not erect another structure. We do not go in our own way, doing our own things that, not are, that are not in the design, not in the pattern, but we simply built upon that which was already founded. Now, let's just say on this construction site, as you see people working and doing due, uh, due diligence to erect this structure, and as you're passing by, you see this construction site. And in the middle of the construction site, you see a playground. And you see children playing on the playground. And they seem to be oblivious of the danger that, that they faced. And as you're passing by, you notice, and you, you see it, and you're, you're dismayed. Rightfully so. What are people doing? What are children doing? What are people doing playing on a construction site? That's not a place to play. That's a place to work. That's a place that God, oh, this particular instance, my illustration, the company has stated you to work. What are people doing? You probably would call the police. You probably would go and snatch the children off the construction site yourself. But you would be, concerned greatly. You would not want any of them to be hurt as we know is very possible. And that would strike you as odd and it should if not dangerous which it is. And so I want to talk this evening about playgrounds on construction sites. As we would see how, how, how curious that would be and of course how dangerous it would be how much more When it comes to what God has given us as Christians to do, work, building. We're on a construction site. We're to be doing due diligence for us to erect a a, a playground where we play and frolic and do all those things. Much like the nation of Israel, as they would offer these burnt offerings and sacrifices to their God, they rose up early to eat and drink. I'm sorry, they uh, got up early and and they ate and they drank. A roles or, or Rose Brother to play. Beloved playgrounds or construction sites are things that should cause great concern to each and every one of us. Now, as we consider our thoughts once again, the apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 10. i tell you what I'm about to jump ahead of myself. Let me, let me, let me do my order. Now, I'm trying to get to, trying to get to a point here. Let me do my order. Now, first of all, the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse number 15, But if I'm delayed, I write to you that you may know how you ought to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Now, it is my belief that the immediate context or the specific idea of thought in First uh, Timothy uh, itself is, is dealing with the, the work of a local church. Now, again, that work and those responsibilities may extend Beyond the assembly of that local church to those who are a part of that local church outside of those things. uh, Of course, we see that even when Paul would write to the church at Corinth, there were things that, yes, were dealing with the assembly itself, but also things that were dealing, uh, that were dealt with rather outside the assembly, such as 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and other places within the epistle. Well, that may be the case also with First Timothy. But now, as Paul writes this, it is my belief that the pillar and ground of the truth, yes, we know that the church universally is based upon the truth. It is the body of Jesus Christ, who is the word of truth. But as the local church, it is my, my con- uh, conviction that it is the pillar and the ground of the truth in any place, any geographical location, It is the local church that is the support, the the foundation of truth, that represents the truth, that shows people what truth is by not only the work that it does, but the people that are doing that work. We are representatives of that truth. We find that the church makes known the wisdom of God. In Ephesians 3 and verse number 10, again, the apostle Paul writing to the church at Ephesus, and I know as well as you, even in uh, uh, First Timothy, Timothy was situated and located in Ephesus when Paul would write those two epistles to him. But in Ephesians 3 and verse number 10, until the attempt that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places, or in the heavenly, some versions say. You see, the church makes known the manifold wisdom of God. Now, yes, we as the church, we declare that manifold wisdom. We declare the gospel of Jesus Christ. But I believe here that the church is the representation of God's manifold wisdom by the plan of salvation that it proclaims, by how it is organized, by how it does and conducts its work. It is all based. On the manifold wisdom of God. I don't know about you, but I thank God. God designed and established the local church to be autonomous from others. Because if that were not the case, Lord help us with some of what our brethren are doing. But He has established and set up a means of which we are autonomous. We're not like denominations who are. Bound by a central organized entity that they have to bow to the command of that entity, which by the way is according to the wisdom of men. But we are autonomous. We do the work that God has commanded us to do. And no other local church has to affect and impact what we're doing as a local church, even though it may cause us detriment as far as the outside and how they view the Lord's people. But we can correct that if we're doing the work properly. If we have the proper attitudes, the right spirit and the right heart, we can correct that. As a matter of fact, we'll then tell people to see you know. Everybody who says they're God's people are not necessarily so. Because that's the reality. People really do need to know. As we see even in the Bible. Not everybody who was a Christian was acting as such. And so, the church makes known the manifold wisdom of God. We do all by the authority of Jesus Christ. In Colossians 3, verse number 17, whatever we do in word of thee, do all in the name, literally by the authority of the Lord Jesus, thus giving thanks unto God and the Father through him. We do everything. By authority. We do not assume anything, we do not presume anything, and we do not adopt anything that's not in the Scriptures, and we most certainly do not conform things that ought to be done to our own fruition, our own will, our own opinions, our own desire. We must do all based on the authority of Christ. The same thing was taught in every church, by the way. When we see the diversities of people that are that uh, things that are done today, We have to understand that Paul taught the same thing in every church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 17, he tells the Corinthians, For this reason I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Same things. The only differences that should have existed then was a geographical location. Of course, within that geographical location, there may have been certain groups of people. For example, this particular location may have uh, comprised more of Gentiles or Jews, but nevertheless, that was the only difference. Now, as far as what they were to believe and practice, it was to be the same. It was to be the same. And so the same thing was taught in every church. Now, as we can uh, continue to develop our thought, the idea of the word church, it can be a very misunderstood word in our day and time. Some people view the church as a building. Some people view the church as some organization. Some uh, people view the church as some entity that really doesn't exist, but people feel in their hearts. But the church or the word church is a very significant word. But now, You know, when we understand or come to know the word church, and and, and oftentimes things that are not used in a specific way can help us to understand how it's being used. For example, the word church simply means the called out or the ecclesy as we find the scriptures teach. Uh, And it denotes simply an assembly. That's what it means. Look at Acts chapter 19. Now, this is not referring to a a, a spiritual assembly, in other words, an assembly of Christians, but how the word is used gives us great insight as to how the word is used spiritually, how it's used secularly. In Acts chapter 19, for example, in verse 32, you remember the Apostle Paul was in the city of Ephesus, and note how Luke, the inspired Luke, uses the word and how it's applied. As Paul, of course, would preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, it caused a great riot in Ephesus because it was taken away from the craft of the Ephesians who all worshiped the god Diana, and of course, You know, when you worship a false god, many uh, trinkets and and various things, statues and all these various things are made regarding those idol gods, you know, much like we do in our entertainment uh, industry. uh, Oftentimes many people's walls are filled with with things that are uh, are made in the image of their idol gods or whatever the case may be. Sometimes our garages and our closets and and all these things are filled with the trinkets of the gods that we worship of this world. Not us, of course, because we're Christians and we don't do stuff like that. But I'm just talking about the other people. But you can find the same thing if you look hard enough. Well, Paul was threatening their craft. He was threatening their craft. And so notice how the word church is used. Some therefore tried one thing and another for the assembly, here's our word, Ecclesia was confused. And the more part knew not wherefore they would come together. Now I'm going to tell you I just got to be honest. That sounds like a lot of those who call themselves churches of Christ. They don't even know why they come together anymore. (laughs) God has given them the rings by which they come together and they come together for all kind of stuff. And don't even realize why they've done it in most cases. But then in verse number 34 as well. But when they knew that he was a Jew, all with one voice about the space of two hours cried out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And when the town clerk had appeased the people, he said, Ye men of Ephesus, what man is there that knoweth not how that the city of the Ephesians is the uh, the worshiper, rather, of the great goddess Diana, and the image which fell down from heaven? Seeing then there are these things... Uh, cannot be spoken against, ye ought to be quiet and do nothing uh, rashly. For you have brought hither these men, which are neither robbers of churches, there it is again, nor yet blasphemers of your goddess. Wherefore, if Demetrius and the craftsmen which are with him have a matter against a man, uh, against any man, there is a law open, and there are deputies, let them and plead one another." But if ye inquire anything concerning other matters, it shall be determined in a lawful assembly, a lawful ecclesia. And so we see how the word is used secularly. In other words, it is referring to an assembly, in this sense, of the citizens of a town or a city. Now, from a spiritual standpoint, we know that the word is referring to an assembly Of God's people who have been called out of the world into the marvelous light or the kingdom of God's dear son. They've been translated into that. And we are to conduct the business of the Lord. For their assembly was lawful or unlawful. It had lost sight of why they had even assembled. It became unorganized, full of disarray, riot, contention, anger, violence and hence was unlawful, and it needed to be disbanded before things got out of hand. You see, an assembly called out is to conduct the business of the city. We are to conduct the business of the Lord. You see, it reflects the Lord's purpose for the church, this this understanding, this meaning that we need to understand. It means called out again and assembled to conduct the business of the Lord. So we have a specific purpose. We also have a specific way that the Bible reveals to us how the church is organized. Of course, we are all aware of the fact that the church is organized, uh, first of all, in what's referred to as the universal sense or the church universal. In other words, Christians in every single part of the world have been called out of the world into into the kingdom of God's dear son, the church. In other words, the body of Christ, as we've studied in the previous lesson. We find places such as Matthew 16, 18, and upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The, the prevailing idea is simply is, I will build my church, my body, I will establish my people, and death won't even prevent me from doing that. The gates of hell. We find in Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, and he gave all things, to the church which is his body the fullness of him that filleth all in all Colossians 1.13 same thing in verse 14 Hebrews 12 and 23 the assembly of the firstborn the church of the firstborn or as some versions say the firstborn one church universal okay where you live when you obey the gospel God adds you to this body now that aspect of the church there is no earthly organization or authorized earthly uh, orga- organizing rather of the church in its universal sense in other words there is no yearly general convention of christians to come together to discuss the work of the church now biblically it's not supposed to be that but i know many brethren have lost sight of that An attempt in certain regional or geographical locations to call the church. To convene the church together. That they may do the work of evangelism or edification. Whatever the case may be. Beloved, there is no. No. Precedent or authority for that. As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us that that is contrary to the Lord's will. There is no hierarchy. Among God's people. Or it's not to be. where we decide and vote upon issues like many of our denominational neighbors, co-workers, and acquaintances. We don't have a southern convention. We don't have a a, a convention of uh, the witnesses of Jehovah God. We don't have those different things that so many people do. At least we're not supposed to. Then there's the church local, the church local. And once again, I know that you are all aware of these things. But from a local standpoint, there is an organizational structure. And, of course, even as far as the church universal, the organizational structure simply is Christ is the head of the church, the head of his body. That's it. And, of course, the headquarters, as we've often said, is in heaven. It's, It's not on this earth. That's the authority by which all of God's people are to conduct themselves and act. But from a local standpoint, again, they are assemblies of Christians that live in certain geographical locations that assemble themselves together to conduct the business of the Lord. We know that within that local congregation there is an organizational structure. You have Christ, again, as the head of all Christians. You have within that church, when it is fully organized, elders deacons or elders and members some of those members would be deacons or, or teachers or evangelists or, or or other capacities that that we may see a Bible class teacher whatever the case may be so we find them organized in that way now I've oftentimes heard people say well until you got or uh, script uh, I'm sorry elders and and deacons and all these things you are unscripturally organized now, I don't know where that term came from. But now I will say you are not fully organized. But don't tell me you're not scripturally organized. Because, see, I believe there were churches that did not have elders, even that existed and were authorized to exist in the first century. Remember? Remember. You had places like Crete, where Paul would send Titus to go ordain elders. In it. I don't believe the Corinthians had elders. You know, you would think if they had elders, some of the problems that they had, Paul would address the elders that allowed it to happen. And so you 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 can be organized, but now you, you better be working on it. And you don't put put uh, put men up as elders just because you want elders. Amen. Or you don't want to be known that you have elders. See, that's oftentimes, oh, we're a fully organized or scripturally organized church. Well, y'all do have elders, but your elders don't seem to know anything about how to shepherd. So you got the position, but you don't have the men. But we're organized. And so you know, and as you begin to work here, and I know y'all have been around for a couple of years, and, and, you know, we've been around longer, but we don't have men that qualify in elders. I mean, most of us have children, and, and we, we don't, but we're not going to try to uh, appoint men that, that are not qualified to meet the qualifications that are commanded of God to have just so we can have one. Got to be careful about things like that. See, that's just an issue of pride. And ego and arrogance, (laughs) I believe in some degree. All right, so we have these two senses of how the church is revealed. And the two are distinctive in organization and in function. Again, universally, we find the church, Christ and his body. We find individuals who have been added to it. Then we find places like Matthew 18, verses 15 through 20, Timothy 5, 16, that shows actually a distinction between the church in its universal sense and in the local sense. And there is a distinction, and we'll talk about that in just a few moments. But you have churches like Philippi. You have Peter. You know, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1 through 4, that he also was an elder. And so he was an elder in the church of uh, Jerusalem. We find that the church at Philippi had elders and deacons. We have Christ, elders, members, and again those members maintain those different offices that we find in the uh, uh, scriptures. And they operate collectively as a whole. And that is the only, only authorized way that Christians are commanded to come together and create or establish, probably better stated, or function as a collective. That is it. The local church. I know, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, but those colleges aren't right either. I don't know where in the world we get the idea that a human institution is to carry out the work of the Lord. Where we get that idea? Well, we're not supported by our local churches. Amen. That's wonderful. Good for you. But are you carrying out the work of that God has given a local church—evangelism, edification? Well, you know, we're we're just a group of. Gr- I just shake my head. I came out of that nonsense. i wonder why my brother don't see that. My brother don't see the distinction in it now. I'm amazed. I really am. But folks get mad when you start being specific and start saying, I mean, literally get mad. Because I have the audacity to speak out against how a human institution is conducting work that God has given Christians to do in a local church. How dare me. I could see them being mad that man if I talked about the Lord. Avoid those sacred cows that we hold. Anyway, don't want to go down that trail. This is most evident by the responsibility, their responsibilities in their work. Now, as we consider for just a moment the work of the church, from a universal sense, from an individual standpoint, we of course have Christian individuals because that's what we're talking about. Now, as Christian individuals, believe it or not, when it comes to spiritual endeavors, we still have individual work that God has commanded us to do. In other words, as individual Christians, we are to evangelize. Matthew 28, verse 19, Acts 8, and verse number 4. We are, believe it or not, to edify one another, even outside the parameters of the local church. Individually, we are still to edify. Acts 20, verses 20. 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. Teach uh, uh, faithful men to teach others. That's the process. That's the means by which that's to be done. Okay? Uh, once again, going back to my previous point, that is not what God commanded through the realm or means of a human institution for God for men, rather to teach spiritual men to do the Lord's work. We as individual Christians are authorized to do that in the command and command to do it. benevolence. We as individual Christians can help those who are of the faith, especially them of the household of God, but we can also help all men, those who are in need. And of course, yes, we need to practice wisdom and caution and stewardship in doing so. But yet we still have the authority and dare I even say the command as we have therefore opportunity let us do good as those opportunities are prevent, uh, presented to us. And of course opportunity means means as well as the opportunity of circumstance. Verse Timothy 5 and verse number 1, we are to take care of our own. Acts nine thirty-six through 39 we find an instance of uh, uh, Barnabas and others, and even Dorcas. I mean, in this particular example, who was a guys? When you look at those in the early church, who were probably uh, shown forth as the most benevolent, Dorcas, uh, you were talking about a sister who's benevolent. Okay, then we are commanded to worship just because we're not in an assembly, brother. That means we, doesn't mean that we're not to worship. I, I, I think sometimes if we're not careful. That's what we think. How, how many? Now, no. Don't raise your hand. Don't don't answer out loud. How many of us pray as we ought to? How, how many men oftentimes don't pray none during the week, but in the assembly. That that they, I mean, they're praying, but they don't pray during the week. How many of us? We pray when we're here, but we don't pray at home. We don't pray at our jobs. We don't pray anywhere but in the assembly. How many of us even open our Bible? except for Sundays and Wednesdays. Have you ever read the Bible through? If you haven't, you need to do that. It's the Word of God. We also have family duties along with our spiritual duties as individual Christians. Companionship. You know, God made woman. woman. As a helpmeet for the whole, a man, he was made as a helpmeet for Adam. We have companionship. I, my wife, uh, uh, you know, there, there are other things. Uh, first Corinthians chapter seven. We got that, but we also have companionship. I mean, my wife, other than the Lord, is my best friend. And I'll tell you something, you married couples, if somebody else other than your spouse is your best friend, you, you need to get a little closer to your spouse. Now, I have other friends. Now, I personally use that word friend, too. A friend can only be a Christian and only a faithful Christian for me. People outside the body, I, I, their acquaintances, their, their co-workers, their hunting buddies, they're everything. But friend, that word friend is a very serious word. You find that word to mean somebody who's willing to die for you. And I find Jesus using that word in a very, very strict way. Abraham was called the friend of God. Why? Because he obeyed God. Jesus Christ said, I don't want to call you servants, but I call you friends. Why? Because he was about to lay down his life for him. And they would, in turn, lay down their life for him. So that word friend now, huh? You guys, teach your children not to call everybody friends. You see, we build this bond, and we teach our children to build these bonds outside the body of Christ, you then, in turn, build loyalties, you then, in turn, build commitments, and when it's time to teach them the truth... We don't really want to lose that friendship that we have. And so sometimes we'll, we put our children in a vicarious position. It's not fair. And now they have to lose the friend that we taught them to build a bond with because they have to tell them the truth. And we know how people respond to the truth. And so they're faced with, do I lose my friend that I grew up with? Or do I teach them what Jesus Christ taught me to teach them that I committed myself to? Know what can happen. Be careful. Be careful. We have obligations to our children. Our children really have obligations to uh, obey their parents. Parents, uh, we have responsibilities, specifically us as fathers, to bring up our children and nurture the ambition of the Lord, not provoke our children to wrath. We have civic duties as individual Christians. We're to obey the laws of the land. We're to pay our taxes. Yeah, even <laughs> as high as they are. <laughs> We're to pay him. We're commanded to pay him as Jesus Christ is. We have social duties. Of course, we are to work honest labor that we may provide uh, for others. We may provide for our own first and foremost. That could be utilizing other organizational patterns, nursing homes, Red Cross. You know, nah. be wise, Be careful. I'm sorry, and even beyond this, we have recreational obligations or educa- uh, educational obligations. Uh, yeah, we can utilize a school or we can homeschool. Uh, uh, in our day and time, probably a good idea, probably a, a very wise thing to do with the way school systems are. Hopefully, maybe that may change one day. But we have all of these duties and responsibilities as individual Christians. And those responsibilities are to be performed by us within that capacity. Within that capacity. <laughs> then we realize that we have responsibilities and duties. Again, we have the individual work, but that Christian individual then begins to be a part of a collective. Now, how does that collective operate? Remember, collective has to operate as each part come together or coming together as a whole. In other words, Each part must perform and carry out the duty as a whole. If you are a collective, you are not acting individually. You are not acting, as I said the other day, distributively. In other words, one or two individuals within that group acting independently of the entire group. That is not collective action. Collective action can only be accomplished when the whole collective, the whole group, acts as one together jointly participating in whatever work that is. That's why Paul wanted the church at Corinth to fellowship in the ministry to the saints. How could they do that? They had to do that as a collective, all acting as one. We pool our resources together, oftentimes into a common treasury. Like the Apostles' feet, That's what I believe was being referred to there. Even the disciples of Jesus had some kind of treasury. No, that's not the church. Not trying to make it the church. But it gives us the principle, the premise. In other words, we all must jointly participate, jointly contribute into this whole, into this common pool. And we must operate from that if we're to act collectively. Now, the local church, again, is a collective. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 17 through 18, and I believe the New King James, New American Standard, the English Standard Version, always, I believe, all kind of translated, translated a little more properly. Not saying we can't understand that from the King James Version. I use the King James, as you know. But nevertheless, it says, when you come together as a church, I hear that the divisions among you, and I partly believe it. You're coming together. There has to be a coming together in order for a church to function and to operate. Now, when I look at the work of the local church, I find again, when that church uh, comes together, we find things that are authorized such as evangelism. Remember, evangelism, yes, we have evangelists who also in the first century served as apostles, men like the Apostle Paul, that the church of Philippi from its collective supported Paul, as Paul says to them in Philippians 4 and verse 15. In 1 Timothy 5, 7, we find even that elders who were worthy of their labor were supported to do the work that God had given. Remember, they were to convince the gainsayers. I know, I know. Most elders in many churches sit around and decide together what kind of carpet we're going to have and what, how many pews we're going to add. or what. But if an eldership is doing really what we find in the first century, not only are they shepherding the flock, but they're out convincing those who are speaking blasphemy against Christ that you ought not to do that. Yes, sir. They were teachers, guys, and they were supported. Imagine having elders that are supported to get out. Whoa. You're talking about a church operating evangelism. And yes, they're the edifying as well. They're, made, they're worthy of their hire. Amen. Okay? Then, of course, in 1 Thessalonians 1 and verse number 8, Paul commended the Thessalonians for sounding out the word. I don't know if it was through a gospel meeting. Whatever <laughs> the means by which they sounded out the word, Paul commended a local church for being responsible to sound out the word. Much as you're doing, here. that's why we do things like this, okay? And that, of course, can also be done through what we find in Philippians 4. What about edification? Well, edification, First Corinthians 14, verse 26. Remember, the assembly has the purpose not only of glorifying God through Jesus Christ, but edifying one another. And see, when the assembly has become unlawful, it ceases to be edifying, but may perhaps be entertainment whatever the case, but where our assemblies are to edify, to build up one another's faith, to provoke one another to love and to good works. As the Hebrew writer says, Acts 11 verse 22, <coughs> remember a church is authorized to edify other churches. Barnabas was sent to Antioch by the church of Jerusalem to what? To edify the brethren of Antioch. He went and got to uh, Saul of Tarsus first and brought him to Antioch. And that's what the Christians refer, uh, disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. And they assembled a the whole year together with them. And the church of Jerusalem said, you see, we can send a, a brother to go and edify other Christians. Isn't that what we send, oftentimes, support people going overseas for? Yes, they're doing the work of evangelism, but they're also doing the work of edification. We can do that. We have the authority to do that. What about Acts 15 and verse 27? Can we send a preacher to another congregation to deal with issues within that congregation that perhaps have affected them if they're willing to have. That's what Paul and Barnabas did. The church at Antioch sent themselves to Jerusalem to meet with the elders and the church there to deal with the issues that the Judaizers, Judaizing teachers actually came to Antioch saying that they were sent by James. The church said, let's turn to that verse because I oftentimes when I say that people look at me crazy. What? Look at Acts chapter 15 and verse uh, number 27. Uh, I'm, I'm down a little bit uh, too far here. Uh, in Acts chapter 15, let me find my verse here. Yeah, uh, verse 22, I'm sorry, 27. Yeah. Then pleased it the apostles and elders with the whole church to send chosen men of their own company to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas, namely Judas, who was surnamed Sabbath, and Silas, the chief men among them. And they wrote letters by them after this manner. the apostles and elders and brethren sent greetings unto the brethren, which are the, of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, for as much as we hear that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words subverting your soul, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment, it seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We <laughs> sent therefore Judas and Silas, who shall also tell thee by which thing, or the same things rather by mouth, for it seemed good unto the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden in these necessary things. And uh, it says in verse number 30, so when they dismissed they came to Antioch and when they had gathered the multitude together they delivered the epistle which when they had uh, read rather they rejoiced for the consolation and that's still that's part of the verse I want but that's not all the verse I want uh yeah I'm sorry verse three way way ahead of myself uh, verse 2 says, When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispensation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem and to the apostles and elders about this matter. And being brought on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia, Samaria, uh, declaring the conversion of the Gentiles, how they had caused great joy unto the brethren. They were sent on their way by the church by that assembly, by that local congregation. I believe when we see that language, we see that they were sent by them. They were financially sent by them. They were uh, Their needs were taken care of for them to go handle this matter. I believe that there is authority for us to do that, especially in this particular case where you had those who said they were coming from this particular church teaching these doctrines. They wanted to know, so they sent those men down there for that. And so we see that to be the case. And of course, we're to support the weakness, build up the faith of those who are weak. Benevolence, First Corinthians 16, 1 through 2. We have authority of churches sending to another church for benevolent uh, effort. We find that in Acts chapter 11, 29 through 30. We find that in Romans 15, 25 through 26. Again, worship, First Corinthians 11, 17 through 18. We ought to do that once again, glorifying God, but also edifying one another, as we see here also. And I got those in two places on it. In 1 Corinthians 14, 26. Wanted to say that twice. And so we uh, had those examples. Okay? Now, the church was established, designed, and organized to do the work given to it to do. Again, we can see that in Psalms 104, verse 24, and Ephesians 3, verse 10. God's wisdom is infinite. Isaiah 104, 24 says, O Lord, how manifold are your works and wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. And like we said, Ephesians uh, chapter 3 and verse 10, as we've already noted. Now, when we look at what the Bible tells us, the responsibilities and work of a local local church is, what it was and what it ought to be, we find, I believe, nine things, possibly ten. I'm sticking with the nine. Um, Considering the tenth, as a work of a local church, I know they're supposed to do it. But we need to consider this. First of all, it is to be an assembly of the saints. In other words, they have to assemble together. Hebrews 10. In such an assembly, the saints are to observe the Lord's Supper, we find in Acts 20 and verse 7, 1 Corinthians 11, verse 33. They are to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, teach and admonish one another. 1 Corinthians 14, 23, Ephesians 5, 19, Colossians 3, 16. They are to pray together for one another and for all men. Acts 12, 5. Verse 72 and verse 1. They have to preach and to attend to the teaching of God's word. Acts 20 and verse 7. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. They are to lay by in store on the first day of the week as they have prospered to finance their collective responsibilities, their collective work. Collective work. They are to support the preaching of the gospel. 2 Corinthians 11, 8. Philippians 4, 5 through 15 and 16. And they are to provide for the fulfillment of the needs of certain destitute saints, as we find in Acts 4 34 and 35, 2 Corinthians 8:9, Romans 15, 25 and 31, 1 Timothy 5 and verse 16. I could also add Acts chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 as well. And the local church is to exercise discipline against its unfaithful members. Not the members over across the way, not up the road, not in that city, but your own members. You are to exercise discipline. I don't believe there's authority for a local church to discipline or withdraw from a member of another local church. Now, we're here to do that individually. Amen. Okay? And I may withdraw from somebody individually that perhaps the church hasn't. Okay? And so, now, when I look at what the Bible says, the work of a local church, all the responsibilities, guys, I don't find anything else. The tenth one is, again, to ordain elders or establish elders and to appoint deacons and so on and so forth. I get that, but I believe that could fall under the realm of, of ed- uh, you know, edification. In other words, if I, I, I'm willing to add that. One brother told me I should add that. I, I see his point, but I don't know anyway if I'm going to add it to this. Yes. But, what else? Brother, that's pretty limited. Brother Harold, I mean, you're telling me there's really, really only nine? Things that are to be done that's the responsibility of a local church, just nine things. Well, I, I, it just seems like it ought to be more. Well, I'm gonna tell you what that tells me. Yes, the work is very specific, but also that shows me how much work I have to do as an individual Christian. And when I look at the book of Acts, and perhaps you've done it already, what's the emphasis in the early history of the church as recorded by Luke? Is it the assemblies of Christians in these geographical locations that we find all throughout the Roman Empire? Or is it the work of individual Christians as they went spreading the gospel and encouraging one another in first century Rome? I think you will find, as I said earlier in the week, that the work, that Luke records in the early history of the church is individual. The majority of it. Let me put it that way. <laughs> and yes, the epistles deal with some of the other things that we see. But, beloved, we have a lot of work to do as individuals, and we have a lot of work to do as congregations. And let's not put one at the expense of the other. Let's do both. And I believe. When we look at the scriptures, the most work that Paul did, that that Peter that all these brethren did was individual in nature and not just from the collective Instead of just inviting people to assembly, how about going and teaching them why they need to be in this assembly (coughs) Of course that means they have to become Christians first Now I'm really just, I go just—I gotta know what I was gonna say anyway. But what in the world are these things? Is that in the nine? I mean, is that what we find? Where, where, where is this? Who? Who? What is that? Who came up with that pattern? Who came up with that work within the uh organizational pattern of a local church? Field trips and. Disney World and camping and canoeing and, you know, baseball and football, uh, picnics and and, and fellowship get-togethers and and all that. Who said that's the work of a local church? And then as as those who are near college campuses, Christian student campus ministries. I'll tell you what, the one we have in Troy, we have a college congregation in Troy. And I don't mind saying it all because they know where I stand on it. And they have a, quote-unquote, student, Christian student center. And the preacher tried his best to separate it, but then say it's not separated. You know, it's amazing when you see people kind of stumble over their words. But he was trying to say, that's a separate organization. That's a separate entity. Really? So, what they do has nothing to do with your congregation. Your elders have nothing to say to that. Well, no, I'm not saying that. We we'll see, whoa. So your elders preside over Christian Student Center. Yes, all right, that's all we are trying to get you to say. Well, how is, how then is it when we're passing by sometimes we see y'all? Oh, first of all, that's a separate entity. That's what that's what I, uh, I and other apparel organization separate from the local church because it does operate to some degree separate from that local church. The students don't come together on Wednesday nights. They come together on Tuesday nights. You know why they can't come together on Wednesday nights at the local congregation? Because it's a student center, it's university sanctioned, and it has to be inviting to everybody, and you can't dare tell everybody to go to that local church of students. So you create problems and dangers when you try to go outside the organization of a local church. In other words, they can't tell students within the campus to come over to the congregation. Can't do that. They better not do it if they want to keep. Their organization. Ain't that something? But then also, we drive by and we see them out there playing volleyball. I'm driving a bus sometimes, that's what I do. I kind of do that for, I, well, I do that for the health insurance, you know, kind of drive my bus, build my tent, so to speak, that way. And sometimes you drive, you gotta do this. I mean, I'm putting the children in danger because I can't look. Because they out there volleyballing and of attire or all kind of the lack of attire and that's the Christian students (laughs) because they really can't tell people how to dress when they come there that's against campus rules so let's not Become those who believe they can establish playgrounds or construction sites. So many Christians are simply about playing, and, enjoy, and we can enjoy the fruits of our labor. Bible tells us that. But at the same time, guys, we are not about play. We are about. We should be about our father's business, just as Jesus was. And, guys, we can't make this some recreational or social organization or club that we call the Church of Christ Club where we get together and play and eat and play and go and just, you know, all these different things that churches, local churches have somehow seen fit to establish and to do. They have playgrounds on construction sites, and if you would have passed by a construction site that had a playground on it and children were playing, you would sound the word against that. You would go gather those children, snatch them up, report those parents to the police. You would make sure that those children were not in any danger again. But yet, why do we let our brethren have all these playgrounds or construction sites and all we do is sit back and say, well, you know, and don't want to say nothing about it. be critical of error, be critical of all error. Don't pick and choose what error is disconcerting to. Stand against it all. And if you would save a child, who by the way, if he gets hurt on the playground he's he going to heaven. But if you see your brethren on, on the playground equipment on a construction site, you don't sound the alarm, shame on them. And don't decide, like I said Sunday. Well, they wanna have a playground, for you know, I can't say that no. I'm not here to, really. Okay. Alrighty then. Let's not decide that's, that's not, let's not decide that's, uh, that, that's not important. And we can see that because of people's physical danger. Surely we ought to be able to see it more when people are spiritually in danger. When they're playing. and the Lord tells them to do work. To be working. If you're here today and you're not a child of God, we encourage you so much. To do what's right. To make the most important decision that you will ever make in your life. To obey the gospel of Jesus Christ and to become a child of God, a follower of the Son of God, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That means that you have to have, by faith, believe in Jesus Christ. And that means faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, that you believe all that the Bible says about him. And all that pertains to him and all that's required of him. And you are to, based upon that faith, that belief, be willing to repent of all of that which is contrary to God. That means that there are going to be things that you have to stop doing. When they're contrary to God. They're, that also means that there are going to be things that you're going to have to start doing that's in accordance to God. And neither one can be neglected. And then based upon that you're willing to confess Christ before men thus professing your agreement with all of his commands and your willingness to die for his cause. Then you're to be baptized for the remission of your sins. That means that you understand you're going to have all your sins washed away and that God is going to add you to the church. Now, you can't have and want the remission of sins, but not his church. You can't have one without the other. Because that same blood that will wash you of your sins is the same blood that purchased his church, purchased his people. And if you don't want, you don't want to be a part of his people, you don't want the forgiveness of sins. Well, well, yes, I, no, you don't. No, 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 you don't. Not biblically, you don't. Then you're to be faithful all the remaining days of your life until you die until the point of you dying. If we can help you in that endeavor. We encourage you to come as we stand in as we